This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I'd just like to um, ask that we uh, just observe a, um, a moment of silence for everybody who, who died of embarrassment when that rap video played. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Don't like your jokes that much, Andre. <laughs> I did laugh, but not because it was funny. <laughs> okay, where, where are all, all the planners in the house? You know who you are. Eh? You know what's happening every week, every day of the week. You know that Johnny has rugby on Monday and Wednesday, Sally has ballet on Tuesday and Thursday, you do spaghetti bolognese on Friday and fish and chips on Sunday. Every time you go away, you have a detailed itinerary planned that, that has every time and every activity and every meal. Hey, I know where you are. I know you. Yeah, they walk among us. How many of us have uh, ever been in a situation, though, where, where things haven't gone quite according to plan? Yeah, I'm sure there's a, there's a bunch of stories out there that are, that are quite amusing. When I was, uh, when I was 19 years old, um, I was wanting to, to spread my wings, uh, so I set off to London um, on, a, on the planned two-year trip, on a, on a two-year working visa, as it was back then. And um, now when I say I, I planned to go, I, I use that word very loosely because I arrived there with no job and no accommodation and I, I went over with a friend from school who had, had very recently um, announced that he was a homosexual. Okay. I have, I have no problem with his sexual orientation. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable in who I am, so I was happy to go with him. Um, but he was my only contact there, my only lifeline. Uh, so as a result, I was thrust into this world that was basically just the pursuit of hedonism. So on the first, very first night, uh, I found myself in the home of one of London's drug dealers to the elite. Within the first week, um, I was in heaven for a night. Uh, surrounded by a buffet of sex and drugs. Okay, now heaven is a, one of the largest clubs in London, not my um, perception of my surroundings. Job hunting proved way harder than, than I anticipated. Um, I was based in, in the very, very liberal um, area of Soho. Uh, so there were jobs available, but it was kind of unclear whether you should keep your clothes on for those or, or not. So, so I declined. By week two, I found myself in a digs in, in North Acton. Um, my bed was a, a bare wooden cupboard, elevated about so high. Um, and if you put your head and your feet in the corners, you could get about a 90% full stretch. I spent a couple of nights there um, and then came down with a, with a very serious flu and feeling super sorry for myself. I packed my bags and everything was done. My two-year working visa... My two-year stint in London was over within two weeks. Flush down the tubes. My plan was to come back, maybe regroup a bit, actually go over with a plan, like a job um, and a place to stay and try again, but I never did. 
Now, admittedly, that's uh, you know, that's the kind of story that it's, it's easy to see. Okay, you were a bit silly. You didn't plan well. What was the outcome really going to be? It's a simple equation. Stupid in, stupid out. Okay, no arguments from me. Uh, that was really, really poor planning. Okay, as they say, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. But even the best laid plans uh, can still get thwarted. I'm sure many of you have a, a pretty generic life plan. Go to school, uh, further your education at, at college, college or, or varsity, uh, get a job, fall in love, find a wife, settle down, buy a house, have the average two and a half children, climb the corporate ladder, make enough money to retire comfortably, play a bit of golf, and die in your sleep at a ripe old age. Okay? Sound pretty similar to, to what most of us uh, have, have planned for our life. I had a similar plan, uh, just with a lot less golfing. But that plan came to a very abrupt end um, in, in, in the beginning of 2018 uh, when my, my wife was diagnosed with uh, stage 3 breast cancer. Uh, we, we walked a journey over, um, over the next three years uh, in and out of uh, the, full, you know, the full cancer routine, uh, the chemotherapy and the radiotherapy and, and the works and so much prayer and trusting for, for healing. But uh, two years ago, the beginning of, of 2021, uh, she lost her, her three-year battle um, to cancer and our life plan, my life plan, was just completely derailed in that instant. I was left with uh, two little girls to, to raise and provide for on my own. Uh, I had no partner and, and they had no mom. Everything we, we once knew had fallen apart. Essentially, I had come to a defining moment in my life, a pivotal point in the life of many of us when we, if we come to these sorts of things. Now, over the last few weeks, um, Andre has been presenting this simple diagram uh, illustrating the Christ-centered life. Okay, so you have your dark blue area there uh, representing a Christian life, uh, and then you have that, that central spot, the, the red area there, uh, where the peace and power of, of God truly exists. When we find ourselves truly centered in Jesus, that's when things start to work. That's the place that he is calling us to, a Christ-centered life. Now, I want to I add to this diagram what I believe represents the average life of a believer. Um, so, you can go to the next one, thanks. We start way off. We're there in the corner, and we, we kind of orbit within a, a Christian life, but we're, we're far off it. And then one day, we hear and accept the good news of Jesus, and we become Christians. So there we come in from, from the top, uh, and we begin to enter in to that blue area, and we start to live a life that it looks a lot more Christian than, than it did before. But of course, there's ups and downs. As we know, we, we fall away from, from, from God. We, we come closer to Him. We have, we have times when we, we truly live a Christ-centered life. And then at some point in that journey, we hit that spot. We hit the X. 
We hit a pivotal point in our lives, a defining moment in our lives. For me, it was the death of my spouse. For you, it may be a failed marriage, a business that went under, an accident that left you disabled, a miscarriage, a father that was abusive to you as a child, or walked out on you. In moments like these, we have a choice. We can move closer to Jesus, or we can turn and hightail it out of there as far as we can, and as quick as we can, wanting nothing to do with the God who failed us in our time of need. By the grace of God, I went the right way, uh, and I drew nearer. But turning and running makes a, a pretty strong case too. Uh, I know all too well. I trusted this God, the healer, the one who I've been serving, the one who loves me, the one who has plans to prosper me. I prayed. The pastors prayed. You as a church prayed. And God the good God did nothing. He let a bad thing happen. Surely I have every right to be bitter and angry and offended and want to run from God. What kind of good God could let this kind of thing happen? You know, we have this tendency to judge God's love based on our current situation. If things are good, we must be walking in His favor, walking in the love of God. But if things are going bad, we figure that God has deserted us. He's left us. He's not really all that good. But what if we just don't get it? What if our definition of good and God's definition of good are different? What if the plan that we see before us is only a few steps in a 10-step plan? What if we have a microscopic view of the timeline of our life? We don't see the full picture. What if when everything seems like it's falling apart, it's actually falling into place? I'm going to repeat that. What if... If everything seems like it's falling apart, it's actually falling into place. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread lightly here because I know there's some of you who are going, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying that the, the death of my child in that accident was the plan of God? That it was God's plan for me to be abused like that? That it was part of God's plan for my husband to be unfaithful to me? Well, no. He didn't plan it. But it's part of his plan. I'm going to repeat that too. He didn't plan it. But it is part of his plan. You see, God had an original plan. And it was beautiful. And it was perfect. He wanted us to live alongside of Him in perfect harmony. But sin came into the world through Adam and Eve. 
And as a result, we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. We live in a world that is not according to plan. And as a result, we we are subject to sin and sickness and disease and death. It was never God's plan. This is not what He intended. But God is the ultimate chess player. He is always one move ahead. Whatever comes, He counters. He takes both good and bad and uses it for His redemptive plan for each of us. How can I say this? Let's look uh, at our key scripture for this morning. This morning it's Romans 8, verses 28 to 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, let's go back to to verse 28 and, and just break the scripture down a little bit. We don't get very far before we hit the words, we know. So this letter was, was written by, by Paul to the Christian church in Rome. So he's speaking to believers, saying we know that all things work together for good. How do we know? Because for centuries God has been proving himself, showing time and time again that he does work all things together for good. It's documented in the scriptures. It's no doubt happening there in Rome, in the community. It happens here in front of us. I believe he's reminding them and us that we know, but we forget. The story of Joseph is is a prime example of God's plan coming together despite what we see, and I'm sure what he felt, as several obstacles and setbacks in his journey. Those things that we thought would have derailed the plans of God's and purpose, plans of God and purposes of God, are actually what He uses as part of His plan. So we read the story um, of Joseph in, in beautifully written chapters in Genesis of uh, in Genesis 37 to, to 50. It's a large chunk of um, of scripture, so I'm not going to read it now. If you don't know the story, it's it's just it's told so well. Um, go and go and read it. It's a real page turner. Um, and I'm simply going to summarize some, some of the key points from, from Joseph's life. So his trouble started as a, as a young man uh, when his jealous brothers pushed him in the pit and, and sold him into slavery. He found himself in, in Potiphar's palace, though, uh, and his work was recognized, and soon he was promoted to, to the head of Potiphar's estate. Uh, Potiphar's wife also recognized him, but less so for his work, and, and more so for his good looks, uh, and, and she set about a plan to, to seduce him. Uh, but Joseph stood strong, and he fled. He literally turned and ran from her. Okay, I feel like that's a word for someone today. Run, just run from your tempter. She then falsely accused Joseph um, of being the one who was uh, the seducer, um, and he was thrown into prison. Again, God's favor followed him in prison, though, and soon he was promoted to the right hand of the, um, of the prison warden, uh, and he encountered two, two other prisoners who had strange dreams that he interpreted. Soon one of those guys was released, and, and, and he was telling Pharaoh, who was having similar strange dreams, 
that there was a guy that I remember in prison who was pretty good at interpreting dreams. So soon Joseph finds himself in Pharaoh's presence, interpreting the dream about uh, the seven years of abundance and seven years of famine, and he is the one who gets put in charge of the whole of Egypt's resources, elevated to a position higher than anybody else in the whole of Egypt. So he has a guy who was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery. We think that's the end of the story, surely. But no. God takes him from the pit to the palace. Then he's thrown into prison for seducing his master's wife. Surely now, that's the end of your story. No. Instead, God takes him from being a prisoner to a prince. It's the story of Joseph. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, it's countless other stories of how God, in the midst of all the bad, turns things for our good. It's the same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the God that we serve. So this allows us for that truth to settle in us, that we know, we know that God works all things together for good. Okay, let's move on. All things... God works all things together for good. Not some, not most, not 99.9%, all things. All is limitless. It has no bounds. It's non-exclusive. That means that your greatest fear in this life, if it comes to pass, if something happens that you fear the most, God can use that very thing. Turn it around. And work it together for your good. But what is good? When people quote the scripture, they often often stop halfway. They do a a little 28a. Uh, They overlook the rest of the verse, which may be the most important part. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose for you in this life is to become more and more like Jesus. The good that Romans talks about is not just better circumstances. This is not a transactional thing. For every bad thing that happens, a good thing happens. It doesn't work that way. It's not an equation. The good of Romans here is God making you a better you, becoming more like Jesus. That's the good in your life. Being changed and transformed into the image of Jesus. God's plan is taking all these moments that make up your life, good, bad, ugly, happy, pretty, all of them. He takes them all and he uses them as an opportunity for each of us to become more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis offers up this beautiful metaphor of God's work in our life. We are, not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art. Something that God is making, and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. Here again we come up against what I have called the intolerable compliment. Over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not take much trouble. 
He may be content to let it go, even though it's not exactly as he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves, though in a different fashion, as intensely as a man loves a woman or a mother a child, he will take endless trouble. And would doubtless thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. Sentient means to feel something. One can imagine a sentient picture, something that can feel, a real, a life, a picture that is alive, after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch, sketch whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed us for a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. Isn't that beautiful? You and I are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are his masterpiece. He takes time with us, makes sure we are just right. We're not a quick sketch, not just another quick sketch for a child. He takes time, corrects each stroke, scrapes a bit of paint off that he doesn't like, puts a bit back on, a brush stroke here, molding us, forming us the whole time. It's a hard process. It's something that we feel. We are sentient beings. We are that sentient picture. We feel it every time we get scraped, every time something gets added. But if we wish that away, we are asking not for more love from God, but less. Why would we do that? Why would we step outside of God's love? Then there's one thing left to look at uh, back in verse 28. It's the foundation on which this promise rests. This promise is not for everyone. A lovely, encouraging verse, you know, let's send it out to everybody who's, who needs hope, who's in a dark place. There's a pre-qualifying statement here. God works all things together for good for those who love Him. That's the qualification here. For those who love Him. To those who have been called and actually responded. To them, goodness is coming. To them, God is working all things together. To them, are being conformed to the image of Jesus. With many scriptures like these, uh, you know, the, they culminate, often culminate in eternity. We read them and we say, yeah, that's great. One day, one day, I'm going to be made beautiful. I'm going to be made whole. Everything is going to be right again. God will work my entire life together for good. And that's true. He will. That will be the most glorious day of our lives when you arrive in heaven. And all things, every part of our life has been worked together for good. But we also know that by Joseph's story and and many others, that God works here. He works here in this life. He works here in the land that we are living in. The goodness of God will be seen in the land that we are living in. So again, there's, uh, there's no formula. This is not a... You know, this is not a good for bad thing. It doesn't always happen. It won't always happen that way. And the, and the question for us, the challenge that we now ask ourselves is, will we still love? Will we still love God 
even if my circumstances don't change, even if it's only in eternity that I will see the goodness of God, will we still love Him? It's a real test for our love of God. Will we endure what we're currently going through? Will we, will we be able to endure, continue with the pain of, of, of loss, of hurt? And what if that's still to come in your life? I hate to say it, but I must. Something, you will come across that pivotal point, that defining moment in your life. All of us will face loss. All of us will face death. What's going to happen at that point? In this, uh, in this past year, I've had uh, you know, the entirely undeserved privilege of getting a glimpse into the way God works all things together for good uh, to those who love Him. You know, shortly after um, Kim passed away, we had, uh, we had neighbors just behind us uh, who, who were getting a dog from the SBCA. And they, uh, they sent an inspector around to, to check the premises. And they found that uh, the wall between us was just a little too short. So after some discussion, uh, we agreed that uh, they could put up a, just a section of fencing above our wall all around to, to meet that requirement. And in that conversation, um, my neighbor found out that, that my wife had passed away. And they offered, they offered help. His, um, his wife was a teacher and said, you know, the kids can come around. Um, and, and she'll help out and just give me a break for an hour or so. And, and from that day, the, the girls have been hopping over the wall um, for at least an hour a week uh, for, for the remainder of, uh, for the, sort of for the last few years, last year and a half. Um, so much so that there's, uh, there was a ladder put up uh, so they could just quickly um, hop on over. Uh, and it was yeah, just an amazing, amazing thing. They were so excited about uh, heading over to, to Auntie Debbie and having uh, tea and, tea and um, cookies with her. But um, unbeknown to me, uh, my neighbors had two daughters. Uh, they were both uh, out of town. Uh, one was still studying and, and one was a teacher. But they would come back during school holidays and on the odd weekend. Uh, and, and the girls soon interacted a bit with them. And I started to hear about uh, Hannah and Rachel. And um, it was uh, one day in, 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 exchange of, in an exchange of kids. I'm not sure if they were coming over or, or, or going back. Uh, but I, I laid my eyes on, uh, on a gorgeous brunette uh, by the name of Hannah. Um, things were, were very foggy um, for both of us in, in those early days. I think we were both somewhere in the clouds. Um, but one thing that I clearly remember is just the faintest twinge of hope in my heart. I had this question uh, that I was, just couldn't suppress. This question of, could it be? Could it be God? Could this be something here? And we began uh, communicating on and off, and we discovered almost an inexhaustible list of um, similarities between us. We love the outdoors and forests and mountains. Uh, we had a very similar taste in, in music. Uh, we, we shared uh, similar beliefs uh, and, 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 and topics on the, on the big things in life. Uh, we, we laughed at each other's jokes. Uh, and we were real and, and raw and, and honest with each other. And we could feel that there was some sort of connection. And more and more, we just got a very real sense that um, 
each of us was, was the puzzle piece that uh, the other one had been looking for. So Hannah moved back to um, East London at the beginning of uh, last year, following a plan uh, that had nothing to do with me, um, but it afforded us the opportunity to, to give us a go uh, last year sometime, and uh, on the 6th of January this year, uh, I asked her to marry me, and uh, come July, she will be my wife. <laughs> Which means she said yes. You know, I stood up here one Sunday and, and, and publicly asked the questions that I've been asking to God. Is there someone else? Or who, who is this person? Who's going to come into a ready-made family and just be an instant mom? Who's going to love my kids the way their biological mom did? And God must have just been smiling the whole time. You know, in Hannah, I've, I've just found so much more than I could ever ask. She's smart and, and funny and, uh, and thoughtful, incredibly kind and caring. She's deeply loving and captivatingly beautiful. I believe all along that God was preparing her for me and me for her. This whole time he was molding me and molding her through the good and the bad of both of our lives. So that when we met, we were the exact people that we were, that we were meant to be for one another. We've discussed several times that uh, if we had met probably any other time, it just wouldn't have worked. There wouldn't have been an interest. Um, there just wouldn't have been something there the way, the way it is now. I, I was not the person that I am today at any other point. For 11 years, I lived next door to her and her family. And not once that I even lay an eye on her. And we've traced several other links to places we've been together, uh, possible overlaps, and not once did we meet. I'm sorry, but you cannot tell me that God doesn't have a plan. As much as I know uh, you guys care about me, I think you care way, for, way more for my, my little girls, uh, and, and that's very, I'm happy with that, you can stay that way. Um, so, so how are they? Uh, how have they taken to, to Hannah coming into into our lives? Very simply, with great excitement, joy, and love. Uh, it's incredible for me just to see them interact. Um, they they crave time with her. Um, they randomly come up to her and, and kiss her and show affection to her. They more often want to be with her than they do with me. I'm also okay with that. They literally mimic some of her behavior. And early on, um, my youngest, Ella, started to call her mom from, from very soon. Um, we knew where we were going, so luckily it was okay. We, uh, we told them, there is no, under no circumstances do you have to be forced or feel the pressure to call Hannah mom. Um, but she just took it very quickly. And my eldest, who, who turned nine now a few days ago, uh, she was a bit slower, and she said, when you get married, Dad, then I'll, then I'll call her mom. And actually, from her birthday weekend, uh, on the 5th of Feb, she just started to call her Ma and Mom and Mama. It's, uh, it's just a beautiful story of redemption. 
to see that happen, to see how God has worked all things together for good. And I tell you, He can do the same for you. You cannot tell me that God doesn't have a plan and that He doesn't love us. Yeah, I spoke to someone just this week who, who told me that what I had walked through had been his greatest fear, to lose his spouse, to, to lose a loved one, to lose one of his family. And I, I wish I could turn around and say to him, ah, you know, it's okay, you'll be fine. But the truth is you're not. It hurts. It sucks. Death is terrible. It brings incredible heartache. It's traumatic. And unfortunately, we're all going to walk that road if we haven't already. But the good news I'm presenting today is that we don't need to fear. For those of us who love God, the plan is still in place. God isn't pivoting to plan B in your trial. This is still His plan A for your life. And the plan is good. He's made allowance for every trial and everything that is coming your way. And His plan is to turn those things for good. The only question that needs answering is what are you going to do at those pivotal defining moments? Are you going to run towards God or run away? A.W. Tozer says this, Outside of the will of God, there is nothing I want. Inside the will of God, there is nothing I fear. I concur. What do you want outside the will of God? What do you think there is outside of the will of God that's going to satisfy you? Where are you running to? Inside of the will of God, there is nothing to fear. Even your greatest fear is nothing to fear. Because God is going to take that thing. And He is going to use it for good. He will turn all things around. We need not fear. You know, having walked through this the storm in my life and, um, and by the grace of God being able to, to weather it well, I believe I've, I've, I've learned some stuff and I don't think I've actually ever shared some practical points on, on how to walk through, through a storm from my perspective. This is definitely not a blueprint, um, just some, some things that I've learned that, I, that I'd love to share with you. So number one, number one stay close. Commit to staying close to God, even when you don't understand. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why this was happening. Put your trust in Him. Believe He's still working. Believe that He is working all things for your good. Declare that when it seems like everything is falling apart, it's actually falling into place. Stay with the plan. What's the risk of running from God? You could miss his master plan that he had for you the whole time. You could miss it entirely. Romans 8.28 suggests that God and all of heaven are conspiring on your behalf to bring goodness into your life. Why would you run from that? It's like hosting a surprise party. Someone has a surprise party at your home. The most lavish banquet. The best party you have ever been to in your entire life. And you don't go home. You're missing God's plan for you if you run away from Him. 
I know it hurts. I know it doesn't make sense. Stay close to God. He has a plan and he's working it. Number two, stay connected. I quickly learned the beauty and importance of church community. I have always loved church community. Um, but when, yeah, when I walked through this ordeal, I was supported spiritually, emotionally, practically, and financially by you guys. A community rallied around me, and I would not have made it if I didn't know that I was being backed, that I was being held, that I was being supported. Don't run away from what God has, has given you. He's brought you into a house, into a community. Don't run away from it. This is your support structure. Not once for any extended period of time that I ever feel alone. Because I knew that each and every one of you was here for me. Number three, stay open. This is an important one. I believe it's possible to stay close to God, but to still be closed off to God. We can be in proximity, we can be here at church, we can, we can, we can sit under His Word, but we can still be close to God. How do you expect to allow the love of God to minister to you if you don't open up your heart? We need to stay open to God, open to His call, open to His prompting. When we're hurt, it's our natural response to, to hedgehog. We don't want to let anybody in. It sparks out and we roll up into a ball. God can't work in that space. I remember at our, our Open Heavens conference last year, um, we were pursuing healing and I wasn't in a great space at that time. Um, I was still wrestling with questions. and Why, God? I'm supposed to pray for healing and celebrate you as a healer, but where was my healing? Where was the healing for my wife? And I remember I was at the back there, and um, there was a woman who attended the conference who had, had very clearly been walking a, a road um, of chemotherapy. Uh, she had a head scarf around her head, and um, I'm not sure where she, she is today, but she came forward in her response to healing. And, and from the back there, just something in me just <laughs> began to run, and I ran straight for her because I didn't want anyone else to get to her. And in the midst of my pain, I just started to pray over her. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And the presence of God hit her, and she was on the ground, and I just stayed with her and cried and prayed and cried and prayed. It was one of the hardest things that I've ever done, to pray for a woman for something that I was wrestling with. But in that moment, God was healing me. God was healing me through that. And I don't, like I say, I don't know what happened. I don't know where she is or what happened to her. But I stayed open to God. I stayed open to receive the love of God, and I did. He was faithful to heal me through everything that I've been through. He's just been, been talking to me, been opening me up. It's the love of God that heals us. Okay, number four, don't stay silent. When an opportunity arises, speak. Speak about where you're at. Speak about the pain. There is purpose in the pain. Naturally, I've you know, had the privilege of having a, a literal platform to speak on, to, to minister from. Not all of us get that opportunity. But in this place, I've wrestled through messages, wrestled with God. 
I need to say this, Lord. I want to say this thing. And I've, and I've wrestled with him and I've cried and I've, I've spent hours and hours with God fighting with him over these concepts and these principles. And it's been like free therapy. Thank you, you guys. You're wonderful counselors. I just come and I get to dump my stuff on you. And in the process, God has been healing my heart and I've been working through it. Grab some of your closest friends. Grab some of your family. Surround yourself with good people. People who ask questions. Ask how you're doing. If they don't, just tell them. Speak through. I, I would regularly sit with people and just say, these are my frustrations. These are my concerns. These are my victories. This is what I can celebrate. I'd cry with them and say, I'm, I'm hurting. and I, I, This is where I'm at. Be real. God can meet you in that place. God loves you and he has your best interests at heart. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to see you made whole. He wants to see all things being made new. So the choice is yours. Plan A or whatever other plan you think you've got. What are you going to choose? Or are you going to run to God? Because I want to tell you that you need to make that decision now. Because something might be coming in your life. And you might be tempted to run from God. But what is there outside of the will of God that you are going to run to? All of heaven is conspiring to bring goodness into your life. Instead of joining the world in the song of, if God is so good, how can he let these bad things happen? Why don't we change our tune? And say, if God is so good, what good can I expect to come from this situation? I am looking for the goodness of God in this situation. Lord, what are you going to bring into my life? Because you are the good God. You are the God who works all things together for good. And I expect goodness to follow after me, to come after me. The devil is trying to pull you way out of God's plan. But all of heaven is fighting on your behalf for goodness. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.